Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Cory, they, them. And Della, she, her, formerly going by Dom, now trying out a new name. Let's see how it feels. <laughs> well, it feels pretty bad to me right now, Della, because I can't make as good a Ninja Turtles pun about it. Oh, man. <laughs> I Sorry. mean... Go, go ahead. Let's let's hear it then. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I mean, we had Domatello in the past, and now what have we got? Like, Delatello. Uh, Del, Del, okay, is not bad. That still works, right? You got to go with that yeah. first letter emphasis. Or Donadello. Della. Oh. Donadello. I don't know. I'm over. I, whatever. <laughs> well, I, I think this episode is going to end up sounding much better audio quality wise, so we have to give the older episode some sort of edge. So That's right. Yeah. That's what it has going for it. <laughs> yes. I know. I was really I mean, looking for a Tory pun for my Ninja Turtle name, and I just couldn't search for it. So it's <laughs> like, like honest, I feel like we're was... now on even footing. Yeah. Like, Della used to have a leg up, and now she doesn't. So I'm happy about that. Great. Yeah, I was trying to find <laughs> one for myself, too, and there's just nothing. I mean, I was like, a Mata Tello. Sorry. Mata Michaelangelo. <laughs> Amatotello is actually decent. It's, it's all just it may, Donatello. Times of Donatello. It may, it may just be the mix of different Italian sounds, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. Donatori. Mm-hmm. It's just it's Donatello all around. Yeah. It is, yeah. I'm it's, okay with it because I like science. Yeah. And except for in this fan fiction, Donatello is all about science. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this he, fan fiction Donatello has branched out into different interests. He does love to be distinctly anti-science. Anyway. Anti-science. He also does science. Yeah, he's still doing computer programming. Yeah. yeah well, okay. And, and, and you're right. Into, you're right. We'll, research into genetics. We'll get on the to side. that. Yeah. All right. You're right. Not anti-science, but he has one p- specific thinking modality that is somewhat anti-scientific. Anyway, moving on. We know. You know, in fact, if our listeners went back in time via <laughs> like Podbean. In time? Yeah, exactly. Or if they okay. just, you know, went back to our previous episode on Podbean, they totally know what this fanfic was about. Because we're revisiting. Yeah, we're revisiting Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles. We've officially entered retro, retro fanfic, retrospective, retrospective <laughs> territory here. Um, because we are reading the same fanfic we already read several years ago. Now, as the one who proposed the idea, I feel like I have to justify it a little bit. I Please propose try. the idea of rereading this episode from a practical standpoint because it's it'd be easy. <laughs> and easy for the schedule and it's thematic being the, the Monday it releases is christmas week but also i think it's a fanfic experience and a fan experience to like revisit fanfics before that you've read that you've liked you know i mean not just fanfics but any sort of media before i've, I've been re-watching shira <laughs> and it, it's just kind of a i think it's an essential part of the fan experience absolutely that's why sites like fanfiction.net and ao3 they have favorites and like you bookmark these things because you want to go back and reread them and mm-hmm. it's you're right, like being an actual fanfic consumer is not like we, what we've been doing on this podcast where we're like, that was great. Well, on to the next thing. Never <laughs> going to read that again. 
That's a really great point. And it gels with the fact that as we've gone on with this podcast, like as, as, me in particular, I've become more in tune with what fan culture is and what fan fiction is and how we can mirror those things. But I was going to ask dudes and dudettes, when was the last time we read this fanfic? I forget. Two years ago? More. 2018, wasn't it? Three years ago. It was uh, first year. I've got it right here, just a moment. Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles, episode 16, recorded 12-16, uh, sorry, 12-6-18. So we're talking three years ago that we recorded that. Exactly! It's, it's 12-6 today! Uh, it's Isn't it? Oh, yes! No. Oh my no, god, I'm you're, so excited. You're two days off, Tori, it's 12-8. <laughs> oh, darn it. <laughs> I was looking at the number wrong. We no, we're so it. close, though. It's well, amazing. Let me just say then, congratulations, everybody. We've been doing this for more than three years. Thank you for bearing <laughs> with it and keeping it going. I think it's pretty cool that we're still doing this after more than three years. Yeah, I mean, we did switch to once every other week a year or two ago, but still the amount of fanfics this podcast has managed to review is astronomical. I, I was thinking about that earlier. I was and our you know every other week schedule. And I was like, I don't remember how I kept it going every week for so long. <laughs> just in terms of the logistics of planning what we were doing. And like, I mean, I guess we just had it as a routine. And I, I don't know, found a lot of fanfics. We were, we were reading like two or three fanfics at a time sometimes, right? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> like, what, like one long one, one short one at a time? <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, this is the one for next week. But then the one for the week after is really long. So start reading that one too. That happened a lot. We should have been using a calendar back then. That would have been... Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, putting things into a single Google spreadsheet is the limits of my organization without being pushed. <laughs> so I think moving forward, we should kind of just talk about it. Um, not fresh, but just like, I think right now is the only time we have to acknowledge that like we did another episode about it. Like, this is... Okay. That sounds fine. And before we jump in, Della, I just want to say I think it's doubly thematic that we're doing this and, you know, revisiting this, because not only is that part of the fan experience, it's part of the Christmas experience that, yes, for many people and many families, you do the same thing that you did last year, basically. <laughs> That's the point. You do the yes. same thing every year. Yeah. Well, it's the point for these uh, turtles and humans as well, so. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about the story. We are reading mm -hmm. Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles, as mentioned. Seems to have been published in 1999, at least on fanfiction.net, maybe somewhere else earlier, because it seems like the author was active on some turtle forums and something, too. Um, uh, the author's note in the beginning says it was written for a 98 fanfic. 98, excuse me. That's right. The author goes by Blue, uh, seems to have some other internet handle as well, uh, or sometimes went by Lindsay. Um, and was again active in the turtles fandom and this is part of the author's like turtle fanfic continuity that they'd had going uh, that crossed multiple fanfics but all it really matters in terms of this story is that a couple times they mention meeting the x-men <laughs> i was wondering if that was mirage or not so that, that was just fanfic continuity it's just fanfic continuity i looked it up before and i i'm i'm kind of upset that the turtles are so crossovery, and they've crossed over with Cerebus and Usagi Yojimbo and Batman and Star Trek and the Justice League, and they haven't crossed over with 
X-Men and they're mutants. And they, they should have crossed over with the X-Men at some point in some incarnation, right? They, um, hmm, they really never... Well, Carol's continuity is so interesting, though, because it was a, such a limited starting point. And then, I think you're right, Abato, I guess is what I'll come down to. Yes, that should have happened. But their crossovers are unique, I guess I will say. Yeah, often. Um, but I mean, you know, you could, whatever, you can do the normal turtles thing, throw into another world or whatever. It's just they've got mutant in the title. Mm -hmm. Even though, yeah. even though Ninja Turtles version of mutants and X-Men version of mutants are completely different things, I still just want that to happen. And Wolverine is going to turn into a half Wolverine. It's going to happen. Uh, that's fine. Could, what's the, what's the seven degree, what's the Kevin Bacon of turtles to X-Men? Uh, it is, I think it's turtles to Star Trek, Star Trek to X-Men. I think that's Star it. Trek and X-Men crossed over? Yeah. I mean, unless I'm wrong about the Turtles crossing over with Star Trek, which I might be. I've got to look um, this up now. Justice League isn't a crossover point? No. Um, I don't know. But our, the distinctive question is, are we talking in-universe? Are we talking, like, comic creators and publishing <laughs> companies that cross over with one another? Because that's a different realm entirely. Okay, sorry to, to not answer that question. Yes, at the very <laughs> least, there was a Star Trek Turtles action figure line crossover. What? Uh, Captain Leonardo, Chief Engineer Michelangelo, okay? First Officer Donatello, <laughs> Chief Medical Officer Raphael. <laughs> what? I think I, I think I want this. What <laughs> Wait, but the, why is Raphael the Chief Medical Officer? Um, that makes... No sense. As he's most like McCoy. <laughs> I I know he's most like. Me, I don't know. I think it's more like Kirk. Well, no, I don't know. Who is he? There. Okay, I'm over it. I'm moving on. I'm calming down. Okay, okay. Talk about the fanfic, but first, Wolverine turns into a Wolverine <laughs> mutant. Storm turns into a cat mutant. Who else have we got? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Cyclops turns into an annoying thing. <laughs> um, Harsh. What what animal is known for their eyesight? Some kind of bird. Yeah, he's some kind uh, of bird. Uh, he it, it's half Cyclops, half Sam the Eagle. That's what we've got. <laughs> uh, it turns into a rabbit because it also has red eyes. <laughs> oh, that's that's a good connection. Well, like I couldn't stop thinking about. Spider-Man Unlimited. Y'all remember that show from the late 90s? Was that the yes. CGI one? There. No, no. <laughs> okay, then no. Um, it's Spider-Man gets thrown into an alternate universe. I don't remember what's different, but I do distinctly remember the episode where Spider-Man gets mutated into a Spider-Man. Because, like, uh, human-animal hybrids are common. It's, like, a futuristic alternate universe. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, a thing, and, like, the villains do it. I was just thinking, like, that is so tailored to that theming. There must have been, because there was also another Ninja Turtles cartoon that was going on at the same time. I used to watch them, like, back to back. Must have been, there must have been some crossover. We are getting more and more off topic here, but I've got this Kamen Rider Spider-Man crossover doujinshi that I've been sitting on for years, and I'm like, I want to translate that someday. And well, it's because... I, I just want to say Beast will be the same. 
Oh, yeah. And move on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just know he's going to be stuck back in the lab with Donatello trying to work on, like, reversing this or whatever anyway, so he may as well be the same. Right. (laughs) Anyway. um, Oh, yeah, so I've got this Kamen Rider Spider-Man doujinshi that I've been sitting on for years that's beautiful because it's drawn in this 90s style, and it's exactly the 90s superhero crossover where, like, they, they meet each other and there's a misunderstanding and they fight. But it's because one of the original Kamen Rider's first enemies was a Spider-Man. Like, that's how the, the monsters in the original Kamen Rider were named. And so it literally starts with Jameson talking to Peter and being like, I want pictures of Japanese Spider-Man. Go to Japan and take pictures of this thing. <laughs> and it's like, yes, that's perfect. That's exactly right. Uh. So anyway, so the fix starts with them all getting to a van to drive up to the Joneses farm in Northampton where Donatello's been staying. Right. Oh wait, all we're talking being... about the fanfic now? Okay. Yeah, the, the fanfic. <laughs> all of them being the Turtles family, um, minus Donatello. So that's Michelangelo, Raphael, and uh, Leonardo. Henceforth, Raph, Mike, and Leo. Mm-hmm. And also Splinter. And also the, the Jones family, which is Casey Jones and April O'Neil and their daughter Shadow. And only the presence of Shadow Jones was like, this is Mirage continuity to me when I was reading this. Right. But I mean, I'm glad she's there just for that. I did have to look up who Shadow was. <laughs> and I was surprised they seemed just like a person and not like a robot clone or something. Apparently she eventually becomes a ninja, but that was after this fanfic was written. And how can you not just accidentally become a ninja in this company? And her name is Shadow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, here's the thing about Shadow in this fanfic. She's practically not there. And, like, about three-fourths of the way through the fanfic, she mentions that she's 11. And up until then, I had no clue how old she was, because she didn't do enough for me to get any sense of how old she was. Are you supposed to keep continuity with, like, the previous fanfic in the chronology, maybe? I mean, Ryan probably. I'm not saying it's wrong continuity. I just mean, like, Shadow was so absent that I just didn't have a handle on even how old she was. I, she could have been seven, she could have been 11, she could have been 16, I didn't know. She was a minor, that was clear. I feel like there would have been some visual distinction between seven and 16, but you know. She, she doesn't get a visual description. Yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm serious. I see. Oh, I see. Yeah. No, that's a good point. All right. Anyway. <laughs> um, April suffers from that a little bit too, but... I'm inclined to give the author a pass a little bit on the female characters being almost completely absent just because it's so focused on something else. It's really focused on some certain relationships. Right. This is actually something I put in my notes, which is, it's a bit of my criticism, is the lack of presence of female characters, which could be there. Yeah. However, I think, yeah, we should probably establish a little bit, you know, kind of more of the premise of this before we get into that. Right. I know, that level of nuance. (laughs) So here's the deal. Uh, Don moved out, and he moved out after a fight with Raphael that had been building for some time that stems from Don's... uh, Born again's not the right word, but, like, uh, becoming evangelistically Lutheran. And, like, he'd been Christian for some time in the family, but then he he kind of, like, you know, refines his faith and, and starts evangelizing towards his family, which is very awkward. And most people think it's very kind of like uncomfortable, but Raph takes it really personally. And this is all kind of in the background of the fanfic, uh, but it's like where it's the source of these tensions that are like going to be at the forefront of the story. Yeah, it's the what's happened in the past that keeps on getting revisited and fleshed out as it moves on. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll we'll come back to that later, I think. But at the moment, they're just like not even sure Raph is going to show up because he's late, and like you know, Leo's already annoyed. He's like, "Oh, Raph's going to ruin Christmas." But he shows up at the last minute, and they go up. And um, everybody wanted to go to the countryside because everyone lives in the city, except for Raph. Raph wanted to stay in the city because he's not a fan of, I guess, old ranch farmhouses or whatever. If you take one thing away from Raph in this fanfic, he's just huge tsundere. <laughs> At least says to himself, I can't remember. Please, and their inability yeah. to deal with their emotion. Raph yeah. is, yeah, 100% just can't deal with it and just gets angry. Yeah. So Raph will be upset and he'll start shouting that soon, soon. Then he gets a little mm-hmm. puppy mm-hmm. and takes care of it. That's daddy, daddy. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's pretty prominent there in Raph's character, and that is what... the best way to describe. <laughs> but... <laughs> now, there's a lot of background in this fanfic, and we'll get back to the religious part because it's it's a thing. But another thing is just that they've they've kind of split up as a family to some extent. Everyone has their own lives going on, their own careers, and like um, Donatello again moved up into the the old Casey, the Jones family farmhouse and is kind of a remote working software programmer, like video game programmer, apparently to make money. But then he has projects on the side involving like genetics research and such. And Michelangelo did some writing and some art has kind of moved towards art. And um, Raphael actually also became a writer, which is interesting. But when I thought about it again in this one, I was like, I kind of get it because Raph's personality is not inclined to take orders. He can't work for someone. He's also not big on having the responsibility of giving orders. So this kind of job where he's his own boss and like he can just kind of like he can write what he wants and maybe he sells and maybe he doesn't. But like he's got kind of total control over his schedule and his work and his his like creative vision. It kind of fits his like, I feel like personality needs. Yeah, that's it's kind of a cute story like raf uh well i well uh leo of course stays at the sewers with splitter because that's leo whatever but raf you know it seemed like he was one of the you know later turtles get a perspective on life until he he's writing this manuscript um and at michelangelo's place and mike finds it in the trash i think yeah Yeah, and it's just, he reads it, and it's this great sci-fi story, and he sends it to a publisher without Raph knowing at all, and this jumpstarts Raph's career as an author, and I just, I don't know, there's, it's details like that that make the story kind of sweet, like, it's the story of these brothers, um, and how they came to live in the world, and how they have such compassion for each other. I also like that, like, Leo in this is just, um just does martial arts and stays a splinter and like in the boys cartoon show that makes leo like the most interesting character but like in a story about like real life things <laughs> they're, they're like barely there kind of boring <laughs> you're, you're right dom I, I was thinking that too and that in some ways leo comes across in this fanfic as maybe a little immature compared to the others i don't mean that like emotionally but just in like leo what are you doing like are you going to be a sewer ninja your whole life is that like your plan apparently yeah you don't want to go try other things? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like, I remember the, I think this was the last Turtles fanfic we did, was when uh, 
me and my sibling, Chris, were on and we both said, you know, and identified with Leo the best because he had the best moral standpoint. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he seemed like the, the best turtle from that, that's, that stance. But in the framing of this world, his morality, yeah, I mean, he has a great sense of morality, but it doesn't really fit in this world because this world doesn't involve fighting evil. It just involves spending time with your family and dealing with these emotional relationships. And I guess that's what they've been doing. I mean, it's sort of unclear where the evil has gone in all this time. But we get the impression, I don't know, a decade has passed or so. Casey's 36 and then says he's middle-aged, which I was kind of offended about because I'm like... Yeah, I took personal uh, offense. <laughs> yeah, personal which, umbrage. Like, not as much offense as I did three years ago, I'm sure, but definitely more now. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like, no, no, I, I am not that close to middle age. I'm sorry. You're right, Tori. It just seems like that kind of like Ninja Turtles level big threat thing is gone and just hasn't been showing up. They make mention of yeah. like... Raph and Casey still going out to be vigilante crime fighters, but the implication is that is just, you know, the kind of beat upable thugs that a universe like this seems to produce just out of nowhere for some reason. Like, that seems to be the kind of people they're fighting. Yeah, you know, if you wander around New York City, you get like 1d6 gangs or something, you know, 1d6 encounters. Every turn, you roll a d10, and if it's a 1, then you have a random encounter. And if you do, exactly. then a 7 yeah. on the 2 die 6 table is going to be some thugs. So, like, mm-hmm. every night, you can find some. Exactly. If uh, cartoons the 90s said in New York City are anything to go by. <laughs> yeah, no, d- definitely. Just, like, infinite quantities of thugs who, for some reason, you do not have to feel bad about hitting the heads of. Like, I mean, it could be, like, it. like, em- like empty, but you just you walk around in the next step, and all of a sudden, the whole world behind you pixelates, and you're on a battle screen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, they get to the farmhouse and everyone's like holding their breath about whether Raph and Dawn are going to like have a, you know, start fighting again or whatever. And they don't to begin with, but then they do soon enough. And I guess we should describe kind of the background here a little bit more because there's, there's specifics about how this all went down, this bad blood. Like it's all very specific, really. But the basic idea is that Donatello was trying to evangelize to his family, and they were like, dude, stop it, eventually. Um, especially, one of the things mentioned is, like, yes, he even tried to convert Splinter, which, you know, his brothers are horrified at. But he didn't stop, and he kind of just started, they mentioned, like, first he started leaving little tracts around, or, like, pamphlets around in places, the Republic, and then, you know, when people told him to cut that out, he started, like, inserting Bible quotes into his conversation a whole lot more to make his points, and just, like, Eventually, it goes too far with Raph. Um, I, I forget what the inciting incident is specifically that kind of breaks apart everybody living together. I, I don't actually remember what the inciting evidence, uh, incident was, but what the thing that, well, actually it seems like Della is going to tell us what the inciting incident was, and then I will go on after that. So, like, yeah, uh, Don had been, like, uh, I think the term is witnessing, just uh, apostatizing, uh, evangelizing, and like, too much, and asked explicitly to stop, and then started like leaving pamphlets in Raph's room after that point, mm. which is like not only a continuation after re- being told to stop, but also targeted at Raph specifically. So, yeah, the the thing I was going to say that Raph points to 
in a conversation, it, it's this is a lot of conversations and usually they're arguments, but little things come out. And that's kind of the subtlety of what this author does, and I kind of like it. But Raph specifically remembers a conversation in which Don told him he would be going to hell because he wasn't a Christian. And that really stuck with him. Like, he felt like Don hated him. He felt like he was being accused of something, and he felt like he was being told, you know, anyone being told they're going to hell. What a horrible thing. Yeah. But obviously, Don meant it more like, oh, I, I want to save you from that fate. Yeah. But for Raph, it was an accusation, and it was, you know, a moral blame towards his character and a really harsh statement to come from a brother. So, yeah. With Raph, who doesn't subscribe to that ideology and specifically stated that that he doesn't, something come out and say, like, you're going to hell is can mm-hmm. only be seen as an insult. <laughs> I mean, of course it is. And I don't know, there's a lot we can say about how religion functions in this story. The author is a Lutheran, um, they say in their notes later. So I think that informs sort of how they tell the story. But they also specifically say that Don is an example of the evangelizing or Lutherans that they hate. <laughs> that he's doing it the wrong way. So there's good and bad things to take, of course, because, you know, there's no evidence for the correctness of religion. So proclaiming that religion is, like any religion is correct without any evidence is ridiculous. However, the author has at least some modicum of compassion in saying like, oh, well, you shouldn't at least tell people they are going to hell or like preach at them in this way. Yeah, the author's very worried about offending people and like seems to be very consciously trying to like make everybody, you know, kind of give everybody a fair shake in this story and also not paint Donatello as perfect. And I think the author does a really good job with that. There's, yeah. Uh, like the, the tension, the tension in this family, in this story is mostly like the family getting together and like seeing, is it going to stick together? Are we going to be able to be together? Are like these tensions going to explode? And early on, there is this incident where Everything had gone okay up until then, but then Don starts absentmindedly humming, like, a, a religious Christmas song, I believe. And Raph goes off on him, like, when Raph is in the room. Because Don thinks, Raph thinks Don is, has aimed that at him, which he hasn't, but Raph is just very, very sensitive here. And then there's this series of conversations, okay? There's Leo going to talk to Raph, there's Mike going to talk to Don, there's Raph talking to Splinter, and... The emotional honesty of this story in terms of human relationships and how people think about this is such that when I was reading this, I was like, wow, every single person here thinks they are the most reasonable person in this family. All, all of them, all five of them. And like, when you're in their perspective, you're like, yeah, I get why they think that. Yeah. And from the jump, this is mostly a story about... It's mostly from Raph's perspective about having interact with Don, but like it's mostly a story about their conflict, but you also get everybody like like Splinter trying to calm them both down. And you have to think, oh, well, Don evangelized everyone in the group. Why is Raph the most upset? And that actually becomes apparent. You know, like part <laughs> of it was the the sticking point for Raph being told he was going to hell, but it's also his stubbornness 
and his feeling alienated from Don. Like his closeness to his brothers is a big thing he has. And they deep dive into these emotions. I actually wrote in my notes, I said, this is a comedy of errors. Like it's not a comedy, but it's a comedy of errors in the sense of like, there's so many misunderstandings that could have been dealt with if people just talk to each other reasonably and they just don't. But they, but here's the thing. And why I think this works so well is like, it's, they kind of do. People are actually fairly articulate about their, their stances and in a lot of these conversations. And it's just that they're not, Don and Raph in particular, but you know, other characters sometimes to some extent, they hear the words, they just are not in a mental, emotional state where they're receiving them the way that, you know, that they need to in this situation. And that's what, I mean, I feel like this is what the story does so well, is just that, like, sometimes the, sometimes I feel like the dialogue is unnatural sounding, it's kind of clunky, but kind of like the emotional places that people are coming from and the reasons the reasons why they're not matching up are not because of the specific things that people are saying. It's because of just where they are as a person at that time. And that all feels very kind of spot on to me. So, I mean, no, Tor, yeah. you're right. They're not communicating well, but it's like, it's not like they're not trying to. They are trying to, mostly. It was weird because, like, because of how much these characters are talking from a place of emotional honesty, like, even despite some of the clunky wording of the dialogue, it still felt pretty real you know these the mm -hmm. story with like four or five feet tall talking turtles felt like a real <laughs> thing that was happening <laughs> oh yeah for sure yeah and the stakes yeah. are so real they're yeah. not they're not high in any kind of adventure story sense but they're very high in this context because like this is yeah. the first christmas since all this has gone down in the family and it's like is this is the glue in this family enough to kind of keep us together as a family? And it's an open question for well, so like, much of this fanfic. Such a strangely relatable experience being in a family tension like that, which I think makes it easier for a lot of people to like identify with. Because like there could be more tension in a different story with like you know the space aliens coming and like you don't know which one's a clone, which one's not. But it's like right. what you don't have any personal experience. But it's like you can't listen to something like this. You can't help draw parallels to your own past experiences and it just that makes it seem actual more yeah and i want to come back to praising that again when we reach the end of the fanfic because there's like another thing i kind of want to say in that direction involving the ending um but i guess the other thing about kind of this middle kind of at the farmhouse segment of the story i want to say is that there's all these great little character character details thrown in there all sorts of the ways uh tori you were talking about how this family is so masculine in so many ways and I really like how the Turtles and Casey are often kind of getting into wrestling matches and, and that sort of thing, just like impromptu mm -hmm. roughhousing. Yeah. And it's so real because like, they're all such physical people and the Turtles grew up physically yeah. training and sparring and wrestling or whatever. They're like a bunch of brothers in a Hallmark movie. A drop of a hat, they'll just start play wrestling in the snow. <laughs> right, but it feels right for them. But then it beyond does. that as a group, there's things like Mike being really into cooking but then Don's been trying some cooking and he wants to try it out with the family. So he seizes the kitchen the first time. He's like, Mike, you can, you can have it for the rest of the time. Just let me actually cook this one meal. Because otherwise, like, <laughs> Mike's not going to relinquish the kitchen to anyone else. Like, things like that. Um, and then later when Mike is baking cookies and then Raph is stealing cookies, half to get on Mike's mm -hmm. nerve and half because Mike's cookies are really good. And then Mike turns like Splinter, make him stop stealing cookies. And Splinter has stolen the cookie. 
and it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh Spencer yeah. Brushes crumbs off his paws. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one joke that really stabbed me too. That was between like, I think it was between Raph and Mike, um, where like Raph gets really mad at Mike for singing Christmas carols. Um, oh man, no, I don't was- remember. He was actually singing um humming a Christian no, no. pop song. No, 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 not with Don, with Mike. Oh, um, with because Ralph is, is sleeping early, in. Right. It's not about Christianity. It oh, was yeah, with Michelangelo me. just singing like Deck the Halls or something. Right. Um and it was just too early, right? He was just like, Why are you doing that? And he makes a really funny joke. I actually well, it wasn't like really funny, but I thought it was cute. Uh, oh yeah, that's what it was. Um yeah, Raph and Mike. Mike singing Christmas carols way too early in the morning. Um, and Raph asks if he knows the one, shove a branch of holly up your ass or something like that. <laughs> and Mike goes, know that, I wrote it. <laughs> and it's just like this cute interaction between those two, right? Yeah. Like, Raph doesn't get that with Don because he's pissed at Don to the infinite. But whenever he's mad at the other turtles, it gets resolved with this sort of diffuse diffusion of tension through humor, you know? Yeah, for sure. And speaking of diffusing tensions, after the Don humming incident, they try to apologize for each other at the urging of other people, but they talk past each other and get angry at each other again. But then things kind of die down for a bit. And that's another way in which this feels so real is that like, there's kind of a few times where they kind of just let it go ish, or at least they stop talking about it. And everyone's like, is everything okay? Things okay? Feeling it out? Seems like things are okay. It's like no, things are not okay. They just they just buried that anger. Yeah, it's um, like kind yeah. of ar- argument where like they're not at each other's throat all the time. They hang out in the same room. They just like try to avoid it and not talk to each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this blows up again in another another little thing that Raph perceives as a microaggression, where like he's he's having soup and Don comes into the table. And grabs a book to read at the table, and it's kid- chicken soup for the Christian soul. And Raph thinks this is a pointed jab at him, which again it isn't. Um, despite the author being, the, the author's a little bit hard on Don sometimes. The author's also making Raph. Raph is oversensitive. He is reading things into this that are not supposed to be attacks about him more than once. Um, it's it's a thing that's happening. But that fight is one that even ends in. Um, I mean, after some extreme shouting, uh, Dawn punching Raph, which like really shocks everybody. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, Raph said something like really incendiary to Dawn mm-hmm. about his faith that was like very provocative, caused him to lash out. But yeah, this has been an ongoing thing between the two of them. It's just that every time they start to maybe have a conversation, it ends in this, you know, aggression. And that was the same thing with the, when, um, before that, when Raph's playing his, like, quote-unquote offensive music, which is, like, Nine Inch Nails or something. Corn. And the corn, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Who cares? I don't know. Don's offended. But he's not gonna come there and say, he's not even coming there, to, he's not coming there to evangelize and say music. He's just saying, like, it's a bit too loud, please turn it down. And Raph just, like, jumps on him. 
And that was like a really incendiary conflict between the two that just did not have to be so. And that just keeps uh, similar to the soup conflict, which it's like it escalates over and over against both parties could have at some point went like, oh, I understand you want me to turn my music down. That's a totally reasonable request. Or I'm not reading this book to offend you, but I can understand and maybe do something about it. No, it just comes to it all the time. So anyway. Well, something I like about these conflicts is that, like, they may start with, like, a weird understanding, but by the time the conflict is finished, they're both fucking up pretty mm-hmm. objectively at some mm-hmm. point. So, like, by, by the end of it, yep. you can't really point to one, one of them and say, say it's their fault. They're both handling it poorly, managing it poorly, not examining their own emotions, immediately going to hurt instead of, like, understanding, and yeah. Well... It's really, I think this is maybe a good point for me to talk about it, is like, it's hard for me to read about people who have strong conviction in religion, because there's no evidence for the for any truth of these religions. I mean, they're interesting stories. I understand why, you know, some of the moral narratives might be important. But when people say, absolutely, God exists, I'm like, so show me the scientific proof. Do the experiment and show me the evidence. And they haven't done that. And that can be hard. But the funny thing about this narrative is Raph doesn't really do that. He doesn't ask for the proof of God. He just says, oh, well, you're evangelizing and I hate that. So it's very easy, you know, to to go to both sides and say, well, like, Don, you're trying to expect Raph to believe in something you have no evidence for. No one does. And also, uh, Raph, you're just getting mad at Don because he's he's not actually doing that much to like piss him off. Like I understand there was that one incident where he implied he was going to hell. But if Ralph thought about it and thought about how religious people function, he could show compassion. Of course, that's not really in Ralph's character. So I think that's what this author does well is say like, you know, Ralph's gonna just be like, what the fuck are you doing? And that's what he does. But if he, you know, taken a step back and went like, oh, you want, you think this will help me. I should accept that you are trying to help me, then things would have gotten resolved. And I think that's what makes attention of this narrative so compelling. Um, Though, there is sort of a turn for Raph's character that helps this narrative along quite a bit. Yeah, let's talk about that. The the only thing we need to address between that, before that, is that after Dawn strikes Raph in anger, Splinter has to come down and be like, okay, like, sons, we we gotta deal with this before someone actually gets hurt. And then he's like, oh, I guess people have been emotionally hurt, but I mean, like, more stuff. Anyway, both of you stop it. And <laughs> I kind of I like this scene. Um, they, they note that, like, you know, he's not threatening punishment or anything like that. He's, it's just that Master Splinter being disappointed in them is enough of a motivator that they're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta shape up. By the way, I just love, like, the four sons and their dad dynamic that they really wrote well in this fanfic. It, oh yeah. It I remember we thought it weird a little weird last time that this fanfic says Splinter has never said anything about his religious beliefs. And we're like, really? Like you gave him ninja training for many, many years and you didn't mention anything about that. But the way the stance that Splinter takes in this family is such that he keeps some of his moral authority by not even implying anything to the to his sons about how they should be living their lives. Like, I'm sure he's 
you know, when Leo wants to stay with him and be a sewer ninja, he's like, I support that, my son. And when Leo, Don wants to go out to the, the farmhouse and program computer games, he's like, I support that, my son. And like, he's not going to do, he's not going to like invoke any of those judgments. So when he does invoke that and he's like, look, if you do this, I will be disappointed in you. They're like, ooh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, this fanfic makes it clear that Splinter is a Buddhist, but... No, it's Leo's a those... Buddhist. Oh, I thought they also said Splinter was. I mean, I don't know. Oh, the, I mean, Splinter probably Maybe I, no, is. I, might I be mean, wrong. He's, a, he's a Japanese rat. Maybe he's half Shinto, half Buddhist. But... Actually, no, you might be right. Maybe they only mentioned Leo. Yeah, yeah Leo's only... a practicing Buddhist. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they only name Leo's related. I don't think they name Splinters. I yeah. see. All they say is that Splinters never talked about it. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, you're right, though. Like, yeah, it's it's not that relevant. I was going to say, like, about, you know, at least certain sects of Buddhism, it's not, like, prescriptive, and it's not, like, focused on a deity, so you don't have to, like, say, eh, I believe in this over this. You could believe in a lot of different things. Yeah. But I like that, yeah, for Splinter that fatherly narrative is there, but it's also just a narrative of, like, utmost acceptance. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I feel like he probably could have inven- intervened in more of these conflicts. It's like, I don't know, it's kind of on the fence for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Even Splinter's not spared all criticism, because, like, in a conversation with Raph, when he's asking, like, Raph, why are you so upset about this? Can't you let it be? And Raph's like, don't you remember that time when, like, you know, Dontel said this thing that was actually really offensive, a thing to say? And Splinter's like, oh, yeah, I guess it kind of was. Yeah. Like, you know, Splinter's inclined to just, like, let it lie, like, not worry about it. But, you know, even he has to admit, like, no, that, that wasn't okay. You're right. Yeah, it seems and, like this Splinter, as you were talking about, who's, like, generally supportive of whatever they do, the downside of that is that it doesn't interfere when things are trending poorly. Mm-hmm. And more letting things lie rather than um, talking things out before they grow out of out of hand. Yeah, I think that you could absolutely wage that criticism yeah. against this splinter for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't say, yeah, it's funny because the only reason I think that comes up as a criticism is because we do have an intervention and it's from Don's pastor. Now, I know this comes a little later. We should probably talk about some of the things that happened before. No, that was a, that was a Splinter-fueled inter- it, it's intervention. It's instigated by Dawn's Pastor. It's still from Splinter. It is, yeah. But it just, yeah, it feels like, why did it come at that point? However, well, some things happened before then, and the biggest thing is Raph adopting a puppy. Yeah. And when I reread this, I was like, this feels a little strange because the stakes... It's kind of a face heel turn for Raph. He's, he goes out like by the highway at night because he needs to get some air and get a walk. And he finds an abandoned puppy. And he adopts it. Very normal. He secretly adopts it, keeping it in his room and feeding it milk and not wanting to let on that he has this puppy. And that, that's what, it, what, why I'm saying like, the stakes are so low. What is at stake is that Raph has cultivated a certain badass masculine self-image and he feels like people are going to tease him if they know he has a puppy. That's the whole stakes. And to I guess that's... point, he's not wrong. He's not <laughs> that wrong. Does happen. I... That but, immediately but... happens once it gets revealed. But, but the reason they're teasing him is because he always tries to project this like, oh no, I'm like kind yeah. of a badass loner type person. Yeah. Like that's all yeah. on him. So it's toxic ma- masculinity that, that hides it and then punishes him later for it. Right. Yeah, yeah but it's like, it's still like, yeah, 
it's still a, a play on his like character identity there. Like I think people know that. Like I think his family could have been a little more not teasing him considering his relative sensitivity. However, having the puppy is a really important like I think it's I was looking at this narrative and saying like, well, there's something that must change because by the end we have some sense of reconciliation. The thing that mostly changes is that Raph learns something from taking care of a puppy. That's the main thing that changes, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. the other characters learn things as well, but the main arc of narrative is Raph hiding the puppy and sort of nurturing it. And I think it sort of parallels his learning of how to have a nurturing acceptance of others in his life. Well, I think it might be supposed to be like engendering the audience to Raph a bit more because you do understand Raph through most of this and like understand his motivation, but like he does get angry at the drop of hat, uh, mm-hmm. get loud and offensive, says some terrible things, but scenes where a character gently takes care of a sick puppy does nothing but cast the character in a better, more uh, sympathetic light, I think. It's true, but like I always had a little more, like, even though I hated the way Raph, you know, would get angry and lash out because I thought it was very unproductive, I liked it more than Dawn because Dawn was trying yeah. to evangelize basically tell Raph things that were untrue and expect him to believe that they were true. Like, I felt that was a lot more spiteful. Um, I know it wasn't coming from a spiteful place. I just mean it was, um, it was was harder for me to empathize with Dawn. Right. But it was also hard for me to empathize with Raph and his anger. But I think the puppy thing, it didn't, like, endear me to him more. It instead, to me, helped his character understand how to empathize with Dawn. You know, right. it was teaching him how to have compassion. Yeah, it just seemed like Rav was more open to being caring after that. Yes, yeah. Because that's all he needed. He just needed to be like, Don, even though we don't agree, I still care about you. <laughs> I feel like one of the things that is, um, that I noticed this time reading through the puppy arc is that it it's a good opportunity to showcase that Dawn and Raph are not the only tense relationship in this family. There's still also Raph and Leo. And, like, you know, Leo has a moment, has it, like, you know, Raph's been acting weird, he's been, like, sleeping at odd hours, he's kind of, like, reclusive and hanging out in his room a lot because he's secretly taking care of a puppy. And Leo's really suspicious, like, what, what's going on? Like, what's going on with Raph? And someone says, oh, I think he went out to, the, like, the highway the other night. Leo goes up to his room and, like, accuses him. It's like, did you get seen and you haven't told us? And Raph's like, what? No, I would... I would tell you I was seen by a human. What the hell are you talking about? And I was like, would you though? Because you've been like acting really strange and like reclusive. Mm-hmm. And Raph is like, fuck off. <laughs> you know, it's just very real that Leo is the one who's getting all like interrogatey and judgy and being like, because, you know, Raph's not all that trustworthy sometimes. And it's like, Leo, geez, chill, which is what Splinter says. Well, I just like that the boring yeah. Ninja Turtle was expecting a Ninja Turtle plot line. <laughs> yeah, he was, right. Yeah, um, it was like I was thinking about that because I felt like I wasn't getting a ton of characterization of characters other than Raph and Don until that moment where Raph's walking along the highway and he thinks to himself, oh, how would Leo chastise me if he knew I was walking this close to the highway? And I really liked that moment because it was characterization for both of them because Raph's like in defiance. But I'm going to do it anyway. It's characterization of Leo being like, oh, well, he's the one who 
thinks he has to protect all of them, even though they're all grown adults and they don't even all live together anymore. Right. I'm sure Raph would be the first to tell you that Leo was never the boss of him, but now Leo is right. really not the boss of him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's been a tension, you know, who's the leader? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like a rash um, characterization of Leo, but it was 100% accurate, so that was and anyway, people find out about the puppy. You can't keep a puppy secret for that long. Um, and Mike and Casey rag on him like they would. And uh, but that's about it. Otherwise, people are like, "Oh, and it's an adorable puppy. That's great." And yeah, luckily the uh, the family arguments cut that short. <laughs> right. Yeah. What happens is that Don was feeling distressed about like his family issues, and he tried to get in touch with his best friend and Lutheran pastor from New York City. His name is what? Greg? Greg the Pastor? Yeah. Pastor I think, Greg. I, I but, think they full name him, but I, it's still Greg. No, no. It's it's just, Greg, his only yeah. name is Greg. Pastor Greg? Uh, Pastor Greg. Greg. What's the rank? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to point out, though, that, that, sorry, but just that the pacing of this, the religious conflict sort of like disappeared when it became all about uh, Raph taking care of the puppy and keeping the puppy secret. So like, about a quarter of the story passes before Greg shows up. And that's when the religious conflict comes back, which had seemed like the driving force before. It's just, we had a lull. That's all I'm going to say. Well, the religion's still here, but Tori, you were saying you thought it was weird that like the final reconciliation was instigated by Greg, but it's not really. I think it's totally fair. Greg shows up at the farmhouse to talk to Dawn, and that's kind of his bad, because like he didn't get in touch to like ask whether this was okay. Um, but what happens is that you know, other people open the door and he's like, hi, I'm here to talk to Don, my friend, the mutant turtle. And everyone's <laughs> like, what the hell, Don? They all have, they all have human friends. But in every case, anyone who they've shared the secret with, they've gone before the family and they're like, hey, I want to tell my friend, Steve the human, that I'm a mutant turtle. Does that seem cool with everybody? And like, they talk about it and they're like, yeah, okay, let's tell Steve the human, like your secret, it's okay. And in this case, Don told this guy without... Or, or he found out without him <laughs> telling everybody that that was the case. And yeah. so now suddenly, it's not just Raph and Don, everybody's pissed at Don. But Raph is the one who's so like, well, if you don't care to communicate with the family about this kind of thing, maybe you shouldn't be in the family. And then Splinter's like, yeah, okay, hold it. Everybody <laughs> sit down in a circle. We're talking this out. Greg, you too, sit there. That, that was so, a fun it, moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's another one of those moments where I'm like, man, Raph has so many reasons to, like, hate what Don is, like, Don has done to him, you know, and trying to enforce his beliefs on everybody else. But then he's the one who always gets so pissed off and reacts, like, in such a shitty way. You're like, never mind. <laughs> you don't have a right to do that. <laughs> so I like that Splinter's like, y'all, we all gonna calm down now. We're gonna have a powwow <laughs> and we're gonna make it right. I, I do like yeah. Papa Splinter pulling rank. And, right? And it's not, <laughs> finally, it's the, though. Yeah, finally. And it's not explicit in the text, but you definitely get the impression that, like, they've had to do this before in the life of their family. That, like, <laughs> they've done exactly this. Like, sat down in a circle and Splinter's like, okay, everybody go around and share their thoughts. Yeah. And, like, it's kind of like they know to do this when Splinter ha is saying we're doing this. And also Casey and April and Shadow are there. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're part of the family, too. They get to weigh in. Though they but don't mostly have they were just 
yeah, mostly they were just standing uncomfortably while everyone was, <laughs> was yelling at each other, just like shuffling their feet. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. And it's totally fair that they've been sidelined this story because they're part of the family in a very real sense. But in another sense, they're not part of the part of the family that have these tensions and these long-held grudges and these relationships that, since they've been kids. Like, and also not the part of the family that will get experimented on if the pastor Greg blabs. Well, that also, yeah. Yep. Um, so I just so, mean, yeah, you know, they, they have just kind of had to like be awkward while there's tension between some of the turtles for a lot of the story. So at this family powwow, they manage to get a little bit closer to reaching an accord. And part of it is that it's intervention style with people talking about how this argument is affecting them and the family and whatever. Mm-hmm. And part of it is their, their viewpoints have been stated enough times that maybe they're starting to sink in a little bit. Part of it is Don actually apologizing for some of his actions, and the part of the resolution is Greg the pastor saying, like, uh, yeah, Don, you really need to back off and apologize for that. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> Which is like probably how... the most significant thing. <laughs> I feel like how Jesus Captain Greg even agrees that, like, Don, no, you're being a goober, stop. <laughs> I think Greg is the voice of the author here, because, like, you know, the author in their Q&A we mentioned says, like, I hate these evangelizing, you know, sort of personalities I tried to describe in Don. And Greg's actually pretty sweet in, they describe he can't be more than 30, so he's very young. And he's like, yeah, you shouldn't, you, you're not going to convince anyone of your faith if you're preaching at them, I guess, is the way he puts it. Yeah. So, yeah, he says, like, look, you want to share your faith with them? They were not receptive. They're not going to be more receptive the next time. Like, they're not going to become more receptive as you keep doing this. So be a silent witness. Show them that it's, like, a benefit, like, improves your life and your well-being. And they'll want to learn more about it and about you. And that's all you can do. And all it's you should those, do, more importantly. It's one of those, the best revenge is a life well-lived sort of messages. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and... At the end of that conversation, Splinter's like, okay, now apologize to each other. And they're like, and Splinter's like, uh, okay, a- apologize to each other later. You don't have to do it right now in front of the whole family. <laughs> Which is fair. Just, just before we leave the farmhouse, okay? <laughs> and then they end up doing it well, through a very cute mm-hmm. way. So, yeah, the, the thing that um, kind of gets both parties to their resolution is that they both have to accept something that they're doing wrong. I think the vehicle for Raph is learning ha- compassion through caring the, for the puppy, right? And for Don, it's having Greg sit down with him and tell him, you know, eventually, like, this is not the right way to show your faith to people. You want people to believe in your faith, but they're not going to believe in it if you're forcing it down their throats. And so they come to reconciliation because they both learned something. Yep. And following up from that, like, Greg gets to hang out with Raph a little bit and they find some shared interests, like, like dogs. And that's just good for um, Raph interacting with a actively Christian and specifically Lutheran person in a positive way, which is actually kind of important. Uh, it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you're, that, that's a part of being a your, your person, but not all of your person. Um, and then Raph and Dawn get to express their 
affection and you know apologize to each other in a cute way which is that as a christmas present they get each other music that the other one would like that each of them actively hates which is to say like <laughs> right somewhat dated christian rock but the thought john Don's like but the thought it's a thought that counts uh for dawn and these what just like metal bands that dawn thinks of as satanic but tori yeah. i remember you saying yeah, the like, description really is like the, the description is like a grunge hard rock thing it's like you don't know what either of those terms mean but that's fine we get the idea <laughs> well i i think the author though is kind of setting up dawn here to be overly judgy i remember at one point he's like yeah raf is blaring that corn music like you know in the house and there's a kid around aren't casey and april like worried about shadow hearing this stuff and i'm like no, I don't think Casey Jones and April O'Neil are worried about their eleven-year-old daughter being corn. I, and I don't think the author thinks that they're supposed to be either. It's just Dawn. Yeah, <laughs> I think that part's kind of funny. Like the music that Rap likes because you know it's of course very '90s, but it's also like music that I also. I mean, I find it dated, but there are parts of it that are also offensive because, you know, for instance, they are homophobic or misogynistic, but I don't think that's the point. The point is that, oh, they use curse words and Don doesn't agree with those curse mm -hmm. whatever. That's the part that fell the most flat for me, to be honest, because, you know, that's not a great analysis of why these things might be problematic, but okay. <laughs> and then... But anyway, they, they both recognize the gesture and like, you know, everyone's really glad that it seems like things have blown over. But then the story ends with one last thing that might have set Raph off in the past. He asks Don what he's thinking about. And Don's like, you want me to actually tell you what I'm thinking about? And Raph is like, yes, lay, lay that shit on me. And Don <laughs> says he was thinking about a Bible verse um specifically the one quoted in the title let's see i don't know my I don't know my bible verses too well luke 2 14 he says glory to god in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men and there's you know a tense intake of breath where everyone's like is this going to set off raph again and instead raph makes a joke about it like the title he says don't you mean turtles and they're like yeah why not and it seems like everything's for the moment fine i do like how their relationships like in general, of the siblings are just these low-grade quips. That's mm -hmm. the accepted currency that happens, and they're they're always very well received. <laughs> Everyone appreciates the wordplay. Apparently, Raph and Casey have some some game going, which I must be Mirage Comics canon, where they insult each other with progressive letters from the alphabet. Um, oh right! Like it, it shows up just really briefly, but. Uh, Casey that calls fun, actually that's a that's a that's a literary game. That's interesting. Casey calls Raph a midget, and then Raph calls him something starting with M, and I forget. And Raph's like, "Oh, we're picking up in the middle of the alphabet here." And I don't right. know. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's these a things thing. Going. Where they use like a fairly, I guess people didn't understand how offensive that term was. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they didn't. Yeah, I mean, because their turtles are shorts, right? But yeah, that that's a thing. Um, it'd be funnier if it wasn't offensive, but, uh, it, it's yes. cute, oh, so, it'll, you know, I'm, like, I'm sorry about that, yes. And I, I realize you have evaded some of the, like, particularly offensive languages some of the characters have used in the rest of the fanfic, and I just failed to do that just there, sorry about that. No, um, you know, it's a good thing to point out that 
I don't think the author intended this language. Like, I don't think it had the same way it does now. Like, people didn't get it. And I think that's the thing that came directly from the comics, was using that word because they're short. You know, so. And so here at the end of the story, that's where I wanted to get back to um, some of the things we were talking about with the family dynamic and the stakes of, you know, whether the family will be sticking together and such. In the author FAQ at the end, where he's part of what things he addresses is like people or his imaginary people who are asking him questions, asking him like, it was a happy ending, I guess, but like you didn't really resolve everything. He's like, yeah, I didn't resolve everything. It's just a happy ending because it's it's okay for the moment. And coming out of the story this time, I feel like I was thinking about them as a family unit. And the author seems to indicate like, oh yeah, maybe you know, Raph and Don are going to, like, have religious arguments in the future. Like, you know, this doesn't mean it's all resolved forever. But I was like, I don't think that's what's going to tear this family apart. I think what's <laughs> going to happen is that Splinter's going to die. And once Splinter dies, they're going to stop gathering together as a family unless someone really actively makes that happen. Because, like, I know that's happened with, like, both sides of my family. When, like, each of my grandparents died, all of their kids just stopped all gathering together in the same place at the same time on like, ever. Ever again, really. And, you know, someone would just have to position themselves at the center of the family to be like, look, look, guys, we gotta keep a tradition going where we all gather together as brothers. And that person's gonna have to be Michelangelo, because he's the only one who actually has a good relationship with every other sibling. Um, but, but then even going onward from that, maybe they keep that going for a while. But then, like, they're such different people, you just know that at some point someone's going to get in some other big fight, someone's going to get into some conspiracy theory in the year 2019, someone's going to, like, follow QAnon or get way too into cryptocurrency, and, like, it's just going to be, like, a thing where they stop hanging out, all four of them Mono, together. Don't, don't put that evil out into the universe, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, Don's going to get way too into <laughs> cryptocurrency, I'm sorry, but... um <laughs> It's just like, I, I feel like I see that coming in this family's future. And it's just like, that's, that's sometimes what happens when you have people with very strong personalities who are very different from each other in a family unit, and then your parent is gone. Yeah, Amada, I respect the basis of your fanfic, but I will not be reading it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, then future Leonardo comes up back in time really pissed at, at the family falling apart and um, destroys the universe, maybe. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Well, well, maybe teams up with current Shadow, who's been trying to get get all the turtles back together, get, get all her all her uncles back together, even though they don't want to be in the same room together. Yeah. Okay. I guess let's, um, like let let's dispel all the evil evil possible futures. But at the very least, you can see them being the kind of family who only gets together when some evil arises and needs to be fought with ninja weapons. Right. And and the thing is. I've been exposed to more Turtles media now than I was when we read the fanfic last time, and that seems to be a real concern about Turtles continuity a lot of the time, is like, the family issues, like, we're very different people, how much do we stay together? And every time they kind of advance the timeline past being teenagers, it seems like that is often kind of a, one of the main things that the story is about, is like, how different can... Once you're, we're not like mostly interchangeable, but wearing different bandanas, if that, then like how how much is pulling us together? 
I wonder how much of that is coming from a um, from from writers' rooms full of millennials. <laughs> I wonder. Anyway, sorry. Is there anything you two want to talk about at the end of this story before we move on to final thoughts? Uh, not continuity-wise, about the end. I I just wanted to mention in general. I enjoyed like the um, fluffy day-to-day life of the week of Christmas. I that kind of just happens in the setting, in the background, I guess. It's like they get, they make hot chocolate, they go out get a tree, they do a Christmas movie marathon, all these sort of things. And it was just, that was just really f- nice and fun to read while sitting in my living room looking at my Christmas tree, you know? Well, I guess let's leave that into our final thoughts. Ordinarily, we would say things we liked about the fanfic, things we didn't like about the fanfic. We did that last time. So how about this time we take a slightly different tack and say, What's something that struck you about the fanfic differently or that you appreciated that you don't remember kind of picking up on the previous time around? Just something new that you took from it on our reread. I think I appreciated the dog storyline a lot more than I did the previous time. Hmm. I I have a ghost of a memory of that conversation of saying, like, I'm not sure why it was included in the fanfic. Seemed seemed like unnecessary and more more story in there than needed to be, but... I wonder what, what's happened in those three years. It's like maybe just hanging out with like my sister's kids so much, or it's like just taking care of something else can kind of, even in, in any sort of respective capacity, kind of changes you and like modifies your um, ability for compassion and stuff. And, and, and so it made a lot more, made a, a lot more sense this time around, the, the dog storyline. It seemed necessary instead of extraneous. Yeah, that that stood out to me as well. Um, that it was, like I said before, this vehicle for Raph's character change that was really important. And you know, it's the first time as the um, the reader we see him show that level of compassion, considering his sort of aggression towards not just Dawn but like everybody before that, and it's sort of a part of his character. So that was important. I also sort of took note of the fact that this was really an analysis of male relationships. Like, how do brothers relate to each other? You know, how do these, now they're grown men, you know, they're just like cowabunga teens. How can they rectify their grown person ideologies with one another? And Raph has, you know, obviously his aggression was a part of his character from the source. But he has to learn how to temper that and accept another ideology. And and Dawn's similar completely because all he can do is say, ah, this is how I believe. I'm just going to like hammer it on. And he learns how to be more compassionate as well and more nuanced. Um, there's also a limited female presence in the story, as we, we mentioned before. But I do think it's mostly concerned with male relationships. and. Not in a bad way. I think it's it's showing how those relationships can evolve via this vector of, um, I don't know, just a better form of communication. I think it's interesting in the fact that, like, outside of the siblings, like, the other male relationship there is Raph and Casey. Like, they're, they're really, like, the strongest friendship, but that friendship mm-hmm. is entirely... Um, coded in like aggression and masculinity and like they're making fun of each other and they 
like wrestle and like fight at the drop of a hat. But this is all they both understand it as good natured and it's a positive exchange for them for some reason. And it's like kind of explains their inability to communicate emotionally. <laughs> You're right, Della. I hadn't thought about this aspect of it exactly because I was like, oh yeah, the Jones family is kind of sidelined. But they they say several times that like Raph and Casey are best friends. And you see it and you see examples and I believe it. But at no point does Casey try to talk to Raph about his feelings in any way. Like all his brothers step in and talk about the situation. Casey does not, because that is not their relationship. That they they have a bro relationship. And like you're right, it's just such a very specific positive, yeah. but like not but it's not fulfilling all the needs here kind of relationship. In the moment in the moment or two you're in Casey's head, Casey actively ignores or sidesteps the, the problems. No, like in fact, you know, we mentioned before Raph deliberately hides the existence of the for fear of being criticized. And what happens when the puppy is discovered is Mike collapses into giggles, I, I would call it, you know, just like laughing about it. And I, I think part of that is because, you know, Raph's presentation of his hypermasculinity, but you know, that, that is a counterpointed, right? With having a puppy is bizarre. And Casey accuses Raph of going soft. That's specifically what he says. So his fears are real. I mean, fellas, is, is it soft not to let a baby die? <laughs> Just ask Right. <laughs> well, here's the funny part is immediately after that, Ralph's response is to say that uh, Casey fawns over Shadow. Right. And um, Casey says, well, Shadow is his little princess. Mm. And I thought about that a lot. I went, oh, right. Men are allowed to ex- like show affection to their daughters as long as they're a little princess. Because Shadow's there and she says, I'm not your princess. She's like, oh, yeah. fuck off about that. She's 11, I think they specify. And yeah. I think that's, it's really interesting. It's like Casey's masculine role in defending his little princess undermines Shadow's individuality in putting her into a role of a princess, which she hates. Well, yeah, toxic a masculinity, lot. you're only allowed <laughs> to, sh- to say I love you to your kids and your dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, they even make fun of, you know, Raph for having puppy. It's like, wow, yeah. <laughs> well, Casey's always been that kind of character, and I mean, he deserves oh, all yeah. the criticism he gets, and yeah, yeah. I mean, he and Raph are clearly kind of, like, building each other up on that. For Mike, like, Mike has brought his cat along, and he's he's baking cookies practically this whole time, and he is not presenting any kind of, like, toxic style of masculinity. So I give him a little bit more <laughs> pass about, like, laughing at Raph's, at the puncturing of Raph's balloon. Like, Mike would have no yeah. problem. He's like, that's great, you have a puppy. It's just hilarious because it's Raph. Like, yeah. I understand where Mike's coming okay. from. Okay, totally. But he must have known how that would affect Raph, you know? Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no you're, I, you're right. I think, I think Mike just pokes fun at whatever you're uncomfortable with. And that it just happens to be masculinity for those guys. And it would be something else for somebody else. I get the impression that he's just like, makes fun of whatever's perceived as funny at the moment. Yeah, that's probably true. I just feel like there's not like a lot of emotional support for Raph. Like, if I get it, like that's Mike's character, but this is in a way emotional progress for Raph. So if I was like being a supportive sibling to him, I would have been like, "Wow, like this is good that you're doing this," rather than undermining again 
this idea. Yeah. And also the thing with Casey made me think about the fact like men always get away with demonstrating affection through calling their daughters their little princess, but it ends up infantilizing their little girls and like making them objects. And it's just like, ah. Or uh, the frustration like, of everything. Ah. And like, then Pokemon Fun is especially weird because earlier in the fanfic, they talked about how they wanted Raph to be making more connections, more emotional mm-hmm. connections to people. It's like, oh, here's a new connection. Ha ha. It's like, what do you really want? Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. Yep. I, I mean, there's a scene where Splitter's talking to Leo, and um, I don't know. Raph has been in a weirdly good mood, and Leo's all suspicious. and. And Raph and Splinter's like, you've been complaining about Raph being all like, you know, ornery for this whole time, and now you're kind of complaining that he's happy. Like, just just leave him alone. Yeah. It's great. He's happy well, for some reason. Yeah. He's hiding it from us. I it's love, fine. I love Splinter's reasoning in that moment. It's like, okay, you can tell that it's not dangerous. It's not harmful. It makes Raph happy. And he's what the fuck's your problem, Leo? <laughs> and yeah, obviously he's keeping a secret from us. Why yeah. is that a right? That's not a big deal if it's a positive thing, which it clearly is. Yeah. Right. Like, that's 100% the crux of how I feel about all the sibling relationships in this story, is why don't they ask the question, why did Raph feel the need to keep this a secret? Why does Dawn feel the need to evangelize? Why does anyone... They don't ask the questions. They just go off and basically make fun of each other or get at each other's throats. And so there is some resolution at the end, and I appreciate it. But there's still a lot of tension with the other siblings that's not been resolved there. Well, that's what I want to say I appreciated more this time, is that, like, I, I would always have said that this, this story came from kind of a place of emotional honesty. But rereading it, I appreciate that the characters are driven by very recognizable and understandable and human emotions a lot of the time, and a lot of the time that doesn't reflect well on them. And I don't see a lot of fanfic authors do exactly that, or at least at this kind of micro level. I feel like, you know, this author probably likes all the characters, and yet he has Leo at one point think like, oh, I knew Raph was going to ruin Christmas this year. And it's like, (laughs) Well, that's a very unkind, unfair thing to think, Leo. And I totally understand why you're thinking it and why you're coming at this, you know, this Christmas from that direction. Like, it's totally relatable. It's just also kind of, like, petty. And, like, he, the author really allows the characters to be kind of emotionally honest in a petty, dumb, hurtful way a lot. Uh, Amato, instead of human emotions, don't you mean turtle emotions? Yes, I'm sorry, ah. I mean turtle emotions. Very recognizable <laughs> turtle emotions that we're all familiar with. There you go. But yeah, it, it is the thing that makes this a fanfic like so compelling, is all those questions of like, y'all knew, like, like the thing with Leo, like, oh, I knew this was gonna, why didn't you try to intervene? Like, why didn't you all like try to help each other? And, and even Splinter is like, you know, Splinter did try at the very end i mean i guess you could argue he really wanted to let them fly their own get their own wings and like deal with their own stuff but a lot of times i just feel like everybody could have been helping each other more but i think that is what the author wants you to think yeah, because i think, I think so. that by the end that's the takeaway and it works and- really well because the whole story carries this emotional weight of we should be listening to each other more. And it comes through at the end. 
And that's definitely what I've taken away to finish up our discussion here from this story, is that we should strive to keep Christmas in our hearts all year long. <laughs> and to that end, we will be reading Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles, um, every episode from now until next Christmas. <laughs> Something like a weird, bizarre version of the podcast, uh, worst idea of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I can handle that much Christianity. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a, okay. A point. Well, I, 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 I did my time. I did my. <laughs> right? I'm not a minor anymore. You don't. You, you can't make me. <laughs> fine, fine. I, I mean, I accept that. But tonight, you will be visited by four turtle spirits. Ah, uh, sick. Promise. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they're the spirits of pure turtle science, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is all about the hard science. Wait, are there spirits or ghosts? Uh, Which is most scientific? I think Marley says spirits, but then they turn out to be ghosts. Right. Which well, are a type of spirit. Probably just a branding issue, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, let's close this out. Thanks for coming on. It was very fun to talk about a story that we liked again. I guess that was a nice thing going into this week, is that I knew I liked the story going in, which is not something I usually have the experience of. A luxury. Yeah. This was episode 125 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles by Blue, published 1999. You can find it on fanfiction.net, which is where we're going to be linking to in the show notes. The intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. And you can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Davis, who has been doing it for more than three years, as previously established, and now has to edit a Turtles episode again. <laughs> there's, a, there's a parable in here somewhere, I think. I'll ask the spirits when they come. <laughs> Let's see, you can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, Facebook at RetroFanfic. You can send us an email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com. We could leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever you used to listen to us, such as Podbean. And we might even, well, we would be very likely to acknowledge such comments on the air. Please get in touch. Tell us how much you want us to keep talking about this one particular fanfic so I can convince these two Christmas-hating <laughs> heathens. I just told you, I liked reading the fanfic while looking at my Christmas tree. How, how, I love lead. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> then why can you not keep it in your heart all year long, Tori? I do. Well, it's a lot of, lot of cholesterol. If you eat that rich all the time, you know, you'll, you'll end up, your heart will explode. <laughs> That's a good point. Depends on how many pine needles you consume. Too much eggnog, Amato. Too much eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Amato. I'm... Tori Turtle. I'm Del. I liked how you had to think about that for a moment. Yeah. But that's the best you could come up with. I decided between Tori Turtle and Tori Turtle. War Turtle? Yeah. I, I was going to go one way or the other. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have a clever name that fits perfectly within a, a turtle name. Oh, well, you should just pick a new one then. I guess so. <laughs> from now on, your name mm -hmm. is Leonardo. Yeah. A bold move. <laughs> Anyway, 
We are just three Earth life forms trying not to microaggress each other or punch each other in the face. Until next time, take care. Yeah, I would argue that the turtles could have done better if they were doing microaggressions. If they were doing macroaggressions. Wait, that's not better. I don't know what I'm saying. No, there was a macroaggression. It was a big buff one. I'm sorry. Yes. And also, Mata, you're assuming a lot of my punches. <laughs> I thought those were two very specific things we were not trying to do, but I could be wrong. <laughs> what are we I don't understand what we're not trying to do. I don't know. Just because you're the blue one doesn't mean you're in charge of all. Wait, I'm the blue one.